chapter 5, and we begin with a story. Rabbi Shneir Zalman of Liadi was the author of the Tanya, lived about 250 years ago, approximately, was not his entire life a chassid. Only in his late teens did he come to the Hasidic movement. And the story goes is that he decided one day that he had accomplished everything he can when it comes to Torah study. He was a brilliant scholar. We're talking about a person who, even as a child, had learned pretty much the entirety of Torah and the entirety of the Talmud of the Gemara of all the commentators. Um, as, as, a, as a child of 12, 13 years old, is already giving Torah classes the greatest scholars of his town. We're talking about a tremendous Torah scholar. And he got married very young, got married and still in his teens. And, and back in the day, it was very common. Rabbi Shneur Zalman of Liadi, who we call the Alter Rebbe, which means the, the original Rebbe or the ancient, the ancient, the older Rebbe, um, the first Rebbe of Chabad. So he decided at a certain point in his life, he had concluded and attaining all that he can in Torah study and understanding the Torah. And he decided he's going to head out to a place called Mezrich. A place called Mezrich. And over there, he heard that there's a great Hasidic master who he wants to go and get acquainted with. And maybe he'll join his school of, uh, his yeshiva, his, his, his school of learning. And the story goes that he went there at first. He didn't enjoy and that he ended up enjoying, ended up staying. He ended up becoming the greatest student of this great Hasidic master who we know as Rabbi Dov, the Magid of Mezrich. And the rest is history, because later on in life, Rabbi Shneir Zalman becomes the Hasidic master in his own right. He becomes a Rebbe, and he starts the Chabad movement, and he writes the Tanya. But at a certain point, someone asked him, why did you decide to go to Mizrich, which was far off from your hometown? If you wanted to join a yeshiva, you could have found many great yeshivas, some of the greatest yeshivas around at that time were actually much closer to your hometown than Mizrich. Why did you travel all the way to, to the Hasidic master, the Magad of Mizrich? To which the Alter Rebbe replied like this. Until that point in my life, I had learned the Torah. But I needed a place where the Torah will teach me. Okay? That distinction is very great. As one time, a person told the previous Lubavitcher Rebbe, the father-in-law of the Rebbe, he one time expressed that he went through Shas, which means he went through the entire Talmud, all 60 tractates of the Talmud. I went through them, which is a tremendous feat. People do this cycle of learning one page of Talmud a day, and they only completed in seven and a half years. I went through the entire Shas, to which the previous Rebbe answered, how many times... Did the Shas go through you? You understand? These stories open up the core idea of chapter 5 in Tanya, which is learning Torah connection. It's about connection with Hashem more than anything. Now, just to take a step back, recap where we're holding. Okay? Tanya is a book which is about purpose describes the purpose of creation and, more importantly, the purpose, your personal purpose within that global purpose. And it's there not only to tell you your purpose, but there to show you how you could fulfill your purpose. 
And in order to tell you how you can fulfill your purpose, the Tani takes a step back and says, I need to describe to you who you are, what you can become, what can we expect of you as a person. And once we understand that expectation, then you can go ahead and fulfill it. So in order to understand you as a person, where you could get to, what, what expectation Hashem has on you, we have to describe what a person is. And we're talking about on the spiritual side. So the biology of your soul, of your spirituality. So Tanya started out by describing that you actually have two souls, two distinct souls within you, and they are cannot be more opposite than each other. The first soul is your natural soul. It's your natural disposition. It's your natural tendency. That is a soul that, that actually gives you survival, gives you all the elements of your life that uh, that are that are natural to you and also that are that that are selfish, inherently selfish. They're all about you. Then you also have a godly soul. The godly soul is that potential within you to go beyond, transcend your natural tendencies, to do godly things. And in chapters 2, 3, 4, and 5, we are describing this godly soul that you have within you. So chapter 2 describes the essence of the soul, what it's made out of, its DNA. Chapter 3 describes the build, the personality, the structure of the soul. Chapter 4 and 5 are describing the expressions or the behaviors of the soul, how it actually manifests in day-to-day -day life. And we explain that there's three general behaviors, which Atana calls garments. Why are they call garments? Because your behaviors are things that you can always stop at any time, just like clothes, which you can take off and put on, as opposed to, let's say, your body. That's you. Your body is you. But your clothes, you can always, right? They're mutable. So your behaviors are also mutable. What are these three behaviors? They are three expressions. They're thought, thinking, speech, and action in that order. Thoughts, speech, and action. Now, last parak, last chapter, we explained a very fundamental concept. And this fundamental concept is, is that the behaviors of the soul, the thought, the speech, and action, which by the godly soul is thinking about Hashem or thinking about Torah or thinking about doing mitzvahs, Anything that you're involved, if you're involving your thought in godly pursuit, your speech is sp speaking, saying Shema Yisrael, davening, benching, speaking good words, encouraging someone else, or planning to do a mitzvah. Any speech which is geared for a godly pursuit, and action is doing mitzvahs or, or, or going to do a mitzvah. Anything you're going to use your body for a godly pursuit. So these, all these behaviors which are for godly pursuit, right? They are actually fundamentally more closer to Hashem, and in the spiritual, in the, in the spiritual sense, than the soul itself, because the soul itself fundamentally is its own identity. Right? We explain it's like a child to a parent. So a child is very connected to a parent. You are the essence of your parent. But at the end of the day, every parent wants a child to be independent, and they are independent, and they are distinct. The soul comes down to this world as a distinct entity aside from Hashem. But the mitzvahs. Torah mitzvahs, which are the 613 pockets of holiness which Hashem embeds in the world for us to tap into, they are actually a piece of Hashem. They are actually a piece of Hashem. And we explained that thought, that, that speech and action, which we, we focused on last time, speech and action, which are the speech of mitzvahs, the action of mitzvahs, if you do them, you're actually connecting to Hashem himself as opposed to just having the soul, which is a piece of Hashem, but its own entity. And chapter 5 is going to continue on this theme, and it's going to focus on thought. 
we focused on speech and action. Now we're going to focus on thought. Now, why is this so important? I'm just going to give you a general look at the book of Tanya, that these chapters are so crucial. They are, they are laying out the bedrock for the, for the entire book of Tanya. So I want to I get your focus on this, on this um, idea, because this idea, if you can commit it to your brain or to paper, you'll have, you'll use it. This idea will come up throughout Tanya and you'll be well prepared. Tanya is about purpose. That's what we just explained. And the purpose of creation is, and we're going to explain doing Torah mitzvahs, and Tanya is going to explain how doing Torah and mitzvahs is actually the purpose of creation. We're not, we're going to get to it when, when we get to it. But the greatest motivator for you to do Torah and mitzvahs are your emotions. And as we described in chapter three, you have emotions, two general categories. One category is called Ahavas Hashem, which means the love of Hashem. Another category is called Yiras Hashem, the fear of Hashem. Now, Ava is a general category. It means you want to become close. Not, not just, it doesn't just mean love. It, it, it's in the category of closeness or, you know, a, approach. Having this bond is all in that category. That comes from your emotion, emotional bond. And then you also have Yira to be translated as fear, but goes to be translated as distance or awe, which is also a relationship with Hashem. Now, these two are the greatest motivators for actually doing Torah mitzvah. Why? Because we understand this in human nature as well. If a person loves someone, they want to do what that person wants. If a person fears someone, they want to abstain from what that person doesn't want. Right? So the greatest motivators to do mitzvah, to do what Hashem wants, and to refrain from doing what Hashem doesn't want, the greatest motivators are within your own heart. If you can somehow build a love for Hashem and a fear for Hashem and awe of Hashem, if you can have that in your own heart, then you will constantly be fulfilling your purpose of why you're here in this world because you'll be constantly motivated to accomplish Torah and Mitzvah. Now, what triggers the emotion? If the emotions are the greatest motivators, what triggers the emotion? So we learned in chapter 3, it triggers the emotions is the brain. The way a human being is built, the way your soul is built and that reflects in your physical body is that everything starts from the brain. Everything starts from either an insight, an inspiration, um, an intellectual pursuit. And if you really connect to it, if you really connect to what you're thinking, you will then feel and then you will act. So that is the gradual process. So I'm not talking about just like a one-off love and fall in love and like that. If you want to have a sustained love, it has to start from the brain. Right, and that works in relationships with between people, relationship between spouses, but it, and it also works in relationship between you and Hashem. If you want to have a sustained love, a love that will actually motivate you on a constant basis to do Torah mitzvahs, and not just one off, it has to start from the brain. It means contemplating, contemplating certain ideas, which will then breed to feelings, which will then bring you to action. And the Tanya is going to give us various programs, various items, various contemplations to think. That if you actually apply your brain to it, you will then have certain emotions which will then trigger the actions of the godly soul. And the Tanya is going to give us a lot of different programs of how to actually apply it. But before we get to those programs, which are going to be in later chapters, we have to have this fundamental idea is that everything, everything starts from the brain, which then affects the heart, which then affects your action. Now, if your emotions, as we described, the two garments, the two behaviors of the soul, the godly soul, is triggered by the emotions, 
it's used the, the, the speech and action are the vehicles where your emotions can be expressed. Thought is the vehicle for your brain is expressed. So it's very important to understand that the godly soul has this has a brain to it, has the three upper levels of the soul at the intellectual levels, and the vehicle for those levels to actually be expressed is thought. So what is the thought of the godly soul? It is contemplating, learning, delving, and understanding Torah. This chapter is dedicated to this idea that we have the greatest gift, the greatest gift that could ever you could ever imagine, and that is the gift of Torah. And in order to explain how this is the greatest gift and what it does to you as a person, we have to understand, we're going to also explain what Torah is, what it does, what 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 kind of what what's the spirituality side of Torah, aside from just learning laws and learning how to behave and Torah gives us guidance for life, that's all good. But there must be a spiritual component to this as well. So um, let's look at the source sheet, and I am going to read it, um, text number one, in, I'm going to read it in, um, in the Hebrew, in the, in the original, the Tanya, and you will, um, and we'll also translate it into English so that you can understand. So, the Tanya in Perek Hei, which is the fifth chapter, says like this. It is quoting from the Zohar, which is the fundamental book of Kabbalah. And this is um, a quote which is fundamental to Kabbalah um, as a whole. And it's describing God and our relationship with God. And it says like this. Which means no thought can grasp you. Meaning that no matter how intellectual a human being may be, no matter how smart, no matter how insightful, you'll never come anywhere near grasping Hashem. Okay? Let alone, by the way, all the wisdom, all the human wisdom, right? No one person can attain all human knowledge, all human wisdom. And that's finite wisdom. Definitely, you can't grasp Hashem. And therefore, you know, as people say, you know, try to explain God, try to describe God. We are actually mandated to understand God as best as possible. But Again, I qualify, best as possible. There is a lot that you're not going to be able to because, as the Zohar says, you cannot grasp Hashem. Now, the Alter Rebbe and Anya focuses on this one word, grasp, in Hebrew, tfisa. Okay? What does grasp mean? What does grasp mean? Grasp, I'm saying usually grasp is a, is a, is a, is a, is a, it's a physical thing, right? You grasp something, right? Is you're holding it. It's a. It's a. It's usually used in in in, in the physical sense of actually holding something with your hand. Why would it be used in the in the sense of the mind in describing an action of the mind? That the truth is, we use that in English as well, grasp. But here, Valdez really wants us to focus on this. This word "tfisa," which means grasp, is actually giving us a little bit of insight to what happens to a person, the effect that happens to a person when he delves into Torah. And this is true to a certain extent in all thinking, in all pursuits of wisdom, in all pursuits of understanding. But it is especially true when it comes to Torah. And that is going to bring us to the next text. I'm going to read it from the Tanya. It is a very deep passage. And then I'm going to unpack it for you after I read it. Okay? So, 
Ine, behold, he calls Seifel. Any concept, any intellectual concept. Kishemasig, kishemaskilumasig besiklai, which is understood, which is grasped in the mind. When the mind grasps any intellectual idea, the brain, the mind, envelops the idea and surrounds it with his brain. And the intellectual concept that he's understanding gets grasped is surrounded, Umukov is surrounded, Umulubash, and is enclosed inside of the brain, inside of the mind, which is understood by the mind. What is Alter Abba saying? That there's actually three stages that a mind goes through when it's trying to understand the concept. Okay? You have on one hand the mind, independent entity. Another hand the concept, independent entity. Independent so much that this concept can be understood by many minds, right? It's like it's a truth that 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 lives irrespective of the mind. Now the mind and the concept want to meet. You want to understand this concept, okay? So what happens is it goes through three stages, and the best way to explain how this works is by using the terminology of grasp. How do these three stages work? So first, you hear the concept, or you read the concept, or you think of the concept. Either way, it, it somehow originates from somewhere. And it, it, you grasp it, but you grasp it in you, the way to think about it is like you're grasping a, 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 a piece of the table. So you're grasping onto the table, let's say, in the physical sense, but you're not grasping the whole table. You're not enveloping the entire table. You're grasping a piece of the table. That is the first relationship, the first connection that happens. You kind of understand that, you know, it's a little bit aloof. You understand, but you're, the parameters of the idea are not defined. The parameters are not defined. So you can't really envelop it completely. And then the mind takes it step by step. You take the concept and you break it down, right? And you cons- you 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 um you categorize things, and you give things priorities and a hierarchy, and you and and you and you and you try to explain things and you break apart things. And right, you, your brain is 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 really really delving so much in this concept. What happens? The concept envelops the brain. Your brain is completely infused into the concept, okay? And then when you understand it, when you're standing, you know you understand something so well, you have it down in your mind, you have it in a one-liner, you understand, you can give it over to someone, you are grasping the concept again in its full parameters as if you're surrounding it, you have very defined parameters, you have it in your mind, you know what it is and what it's not. The three stages, the brain envelops, the brain grabs onto the idea, but not fully. Then the idea grabs onto the brain, surrounds the brain. The brain becomes consumed in the idea. It's like you can't think of anything else. You know, you're, you're completely subsumed inside the idea. Finally, the concept is understood and you are grasping the idea. The brain grasps it back. Okay. Now, when at, you have it on your shelf at that time, when you understand something, you understand something very well, you have it on your shelf, you can always pull it out later. You understand the concept. Your, your, your grandchild comes to you and asks you how, you know, you ask you a question, you're able to answer them because you understood the concept, you're able to give it on to the next generation, fine. But at the moment of me thinking about it, says the Alter Rebbe, what happens is even a fourth stage, the Shri says, is that really you're at, at the moment of contemplation, at the moment of understanding, your brain 
grabs onto the onto the concept because you fully understood it. But the concept is also surrounding your brain because your brain is thinking about the concept and subsumed in it at the same time. So, wh what's the point of uh, describing this, 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 these stages of how your brain interacts with the concept? Because Atarev says like this. He says that understanding something, when you understand a piece of Torah, and you understand it very well, Atarev says there's no connection between two components that you can parallel in the entirety of the universe. Any connection that you can make between two things in the universe will never live up to this yichud, which means this unification that happens between a concept in your brain. They will never live up to that because this unification is the biggest and most complete unification that can ever exist. I can never exist. Anyone know the word? I'm going to give you a word to define right now. Amalgamate. Anyone heard this word? What does amalgamate mean? The definition is where two components become so one that they turn into a third component completely. Right? They, 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 they're so unified that they become a third component completely. Right? Such a unification, you don't have a, you don't have a good solid example i will give an example but they don't have any good solid example in the physical universe because by definition something that's physical it physical a physical object has that is definition it takes up space right it has a defined state entity to it even a cake batter you know like that, that that's a great unification you're making a cake you know you put the the flour and you put the sugar and then you put the liquids and what happens and you mix it and it becomes another entity. Yeah. End of the day, there are particles of flour and particles of sugar and particles of water and particles of oil and particles of and and it, and these particles remain those particles. We even have we even have the ability due to technological advances to actually split these particles apart. Okay. So even though it looks like a new entity, at the end of the day, if it's physical. Even if it's so minute that when they come together, it makes a dough and it makes a whole new entity. And the truth is, it is a new entity to a certain degree. But it doesn't come anywhere near the unification and, and, and the new entities that your mind takes, uh, takes the form of your mind coming together as a, as a, in, in, a, in, it, with, um, in a concept. The Rebbe actually gave a, a, an example of this. What's the example? Imagine you have a child and who loves, loves his daddy. Right, and the daddy wakes up very early to go to work, so they don't really have time to uh, to spend together in the morning. And daddy comes home very late from work as well. the The whole day, the child is waiting for his daddy, right, and waiting for it, anticipating it, and thinking about it, and getting excited for it. And then the car pulls up. Daddy comes out of the car. The boy runs to the door, tries to open the door, opens the door, and as soon as daddy comes in to the house, the child jumps on daddy to give him a hug. Trust me, I, I experienced this myself, right? <laughs> now, at that moment, okay, try to understand that moment not in its physical components, but in its metaphysical components, okay? The moment that the child is giving a hug to their parent after such anticipation with such love, and child gives the parent a hug, and the parent in return gives a hug. They embrace each other. 
not the physical component, but the metaphysical component of that embrace, if you could imagine what kind of unification, what kind of oneness that is, what kind of expression of oneness that is, that is the kind of oneness that we're talking about when the brain envelops a concept and in return the concept envelops the brain like an embrace. The truth is that last parrot in the fourth chapter of Tanya, we actually gave an example to the connection a person has when they involve themselves in godly pursuits, when they involve themselves in a mitzvah. And we explained, we brought this parable, which was very powerful because was a, there's a big question. When you do a mitzvah and you learn some Torah and you're connected to Hashem, but you don't feel like you're connected to Hashem because you're dealing with mundane things, you're dealing with physical things. You're, you know, when you do a mitzvah, you're putting on the physical straps of the tefillin or you're actually lighting a physical candle and like, it's it is this is connection to God. Isn't God so much more unlimited than small, very physical thing? So the example, the analogy that Tanya gave was that imagine you're invited to the palace of a king and you're invited into the throne room and the king beckons to you in front of everybody. In the splendorful throne room, the king beckons to you, come, I want to give you a hug. Okay? And the king gives you a hug. Now, the king, because he's the king, and definitely in ancient times, the royal royalty used to wear a lot of clothes, right? So you can imagine, let's say the king has like 16 garments on. His undergarments, and he has his upper garments, and he has the coats, and he has the cloaks, and he has the everything, and he has, right? So you're getting embraced by what? By the 16th garment away from the king. So it's not the king embracing me, it's only his clothes. No one thinks that way, right? No one thinks that way. Even though the king, there's so much separation between you because of the 16th grade, and it's the king who's in the garments. The king is the one who's embracing you. That's the way you think about it when you do a mitzvah and you connect with Hashem. Yes, it's many levels removed from Almighty God and his, and his purity, the Almighty God, right? Because we're dealing with the physical object. But because it's Hashem's will that you do this mitzvah, so Hashem's enveloped in it. So it's as if you're hugging Hashem. Now, the, 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 in this chapter, the author of it says, take it a step further. Okay, not only you embracing the king, but the king is embracing you, and it's an it 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 it's a two way, it's a two way embrace. You should imagine it that way, a two way embrace. When you contemplate and understand, you learn and contemplate and understand a piece of Torah, even if it's a piece of Torah that is so removed in a, in the shallow sense, so removed from a godly experience. Okay, we're talking about the laws of tort. We're talking about the laws of property. We're talking about the law of, 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 of tying your left shoe or your right shoe, which is actual halacha. We're talking about the actual, you know, the, the, the timing on the clock for when you're supposed to daven, you're supposed to say the Kriyashma in the morning. And we're talking about such finite, very, like, very physical and finite entities. And that, that involves our life throughout the day. Right? We're talking about all these things. And, 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 and if you're learning Torah and you're learning these laws, and what are you learning? You're learning about your, your day-to-day life. You're learning about, you're not learning about God. You're not learning about God. So you don't feel like there's a godly experience over here. But you have to understand that because this is the wisdom of Hashem, because the wisdom of God, God is inside. Even if it's many garments removed, God is inside these concepts. And when your brain has that unification with the concept, which is, there's no unification ever that's as great as this unification with your brain and the concept because it's a, it's a, it, they're hugging each other. They, they're, they're, 
it, it's not like one is being grasped by the next, but but they're grasping each other. That kind of unification is so strong that that is exactly the kind of connection that you're having with Hashem. Even though you're only grasping something very, very finite, but because Hashem's enclosed in there, you're having that connection with Hashem. And this is the way Hasidus understands Torah in general. Okay? The understanding of Torah in general is very fundamental. It's very fundamental when you embark on a journey of learning Hasidus. And like we're doing right now, we're, on a, we're, we're learning Torah, we're learning Torah, and we're learning about learning Torah right now. What is happening at this time? So learning Torah could be described in many ways. You ask people, why do you learn Torah? Okay, so first of all, it is, it, is, it is a very gratifying experience, very satisfying experience. Then it also, it's very important because it teaches you how to live, whether it's the laws of, you know, that keeps you, uh, that, 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 that actually defines your day, or the spiritual components, how you're supposed to feel. So it makes you a better person. Um, Torah is, 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 is a mitzvah. Learning a mitzvah right? There's many explanations you give for why a person learns Torah. But at the heart of it is connection. You have to realize that when you learn a piece of Torah, you are connecting to Hashem in the most fundamental way that there could be. And therefore, by the way, in this, with this mindset, it doesn't make a difference it really doesn't make a difference if you're learning a piece of Torah that actually has um, a, 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 has a, a, uh, um, a novelty to it. You know, uh, oh, I learned something new. I learned something new. It's exciting. Or it actually teaches me a lesson. It teaches me how to do something. Right? That's, that, that gives you the satisfaction. But then sometimes you're reviewing. You're not learning anything new. You're learning Torah. You're not learning anything new. Or alternatively, you're learning something that doesn't apply to you. You could be learning Torah that doesn't apply to you. You could be learning about a law in Torah that applies to a Kohen. You're not a Kohen. You're not a Kohen, and you'll never be a Kohen. But with this mindset, with understanding the sole way of understanding the learning of Torah, that exercise, that pursuit, that experience, it makes no difference. Because the idea is not to gain the knowledge. The idea is not to gain practicability. The idea is to learn, to connect Hashem through the learning. And that is accomplished no matter what you're learning, no matter what piece of Torah you're learning. So treating Torah... In this way is what the Alter Rebbe, back to the, the original story where we started, Alter Rebbe, that, that's the kind of pursuit he was looking for. He, the knowledge of Torah he had more than anyone else. He amassed the knowledge of Torah. But to get this understanding, to tap into this experience of connecting to Hashem through the Torah, which that is the soul of learning Torah, that is the tr real, true experience of learning Torah, that is something you want to attain. You can only attain him as rich where he went to. So, um... I want to also bring up that in this chapter, the, the Alter Rebbe actually um, describes the difference in connection between doing mitzvahs and learning Torah with another parable. Mitzvahs, he says, are compared, according to Kabbalah, are compared to clothing, while Torah is compared to food. The effects a person has, the, the clothing has on a person, Right? You can't compare to the effect that food has on a person. When you eat food, it becomes literally one with you. It turns into, it turns into your blood. It turns into your flesh. When you wear clothes, not the same experience, obviously. Right? That's the difference you have to understand with the connection. The connection that you derive from learning Torah as opposed to doing mitzvahs. Which, by the way, I will say parenthetically, doing mitzvahs when it comes to purpose, or when we deal with purpose, which we will deal with later on. In this book, doing mitzvahs is more important, okay? 
because we're actually doing the purpose of creation. But in terms of connecting to Hashem, in terms of connecting to Hashem, learning Torah is like food compared to clothing. It becomes literally one with you. When you learn a piece of Torah, it changes your brain forever. It changes your way of thinking forever. Not only do you gain a piece of knowledge, but you that but but it 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 literally wires your brain to be much more sensitive to a godly consciousness. And I will end off that this the reason why this chapter is so important to the Tanya is because at the end of the day, what the Tanya seeks to accomplish with people, this chapter is describing in the best way possible. As we explained extensively in the backgrounds of the Tanya. That the entire that the the Tanya is unique and it comes in a unique time in history because because it is the fusion between the opposites, the opposites of spirituality versus physicality. It's the fusion between the opposites. It describes how to do the fusion. It describes how, how the fusion works, and the biggest fusion that can happen is for a humanistic brain, a humanistic mind, finite as anything, right? In many ways, your brain is much more finite than your emotions, than your than your heart. Your heart is closer to your inner child than your brain. Your brain is cold, is calculated. Your brain is cynical. Your brain is critical. Your brain wants or seeks and and and, and thrives off of logic, right? It could be in the human being the furthest thing from your inner shava. the furthest thing from a spiritual experience could be your brain. It could be the 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 enemy, the literal enemy. And many people, by the way, treated the brain as the enemy. And in Jewish history, yeah, we want to, you want to, you want to, you want to, you want to suppress, suppress to a certain degree the activity of, of, of the brain because it could compromise your spiritual connection to Hashem. The Alter Rebbe did not take this approach. The Alter Rebbe taught and teaches that the best and deepest connection one can have with their neshama, the best and deepest revelation you can have your neshama expressing outward, your connection to Hashem, which is inherent in you, is through the brain. It's through the brain. And what greater fusion is happening here in preparation for the coming of Mashiach, when that's going to be the greatest fusion of all, when spirituality and physicality, we're going to see it all one source and godliness will be revealed. What greater unification and fusion is happening between the physical and the spiritual if your brain can understand a godly concept? A godly concept is we're saying Hashem's wisdom. That's what Torah is. Essentially, it's Hashem's wisdom. It's the, the most spiritual thing that can we, we can have in the physical world. And your brain can understand it. And your brain can uni unify with it. That is the best, that is the biggest fusion you can think of happening at the moment. And that is, at the end of the day, the purpose of Tanya. So that's where this chapter is so, is so essential. Now, I will also add, a very important proponent, a specific concept, which is something that you that you should always keep in mind when we're, when we're learning the Tanya and, and, and further, is that this unification that happens when a brain understands the concept, in truth, could also happen when understanding a mathematical problem. It could also it could also it also happens with any with any knowledge of any wisdom that that unification happens. What? The aha moment exactly. Why is Torah special? Why is Torah special? Because Torah, the Zohar tells us. The Zohar actually describes what is Torah, a description of Torah. Torah is the blueprint for creation. Have you ever heard of this, this, um, this idea? Torah is the blueprint for creation. And therefore, Kabbalah tells us that 
Hashem istakel b'raisa u'bara alma, which means in Aramaic, Hashem looked in the Torah and created the world, which is the exact inverse in, in, in what we would we would think. We would it's counterintuitive. You would think that the world exists and there's reality and there's items and there's concepts, there's ideas, and Torah dictates to you how to navigate this world. How to navigate, think, how to act, how to speak, how to have a relationship, how to well, what the halacha is when there's a dispute between two people over a physical object. Right? Torah kind of dictates to us how to behave. That's not true. The opposite. Torah comes before the world. The world is created as an offshoot of the eternal truths of the Torah. You can even think of any concept, any 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 idea that we have in the physical world. Right? Any idea, like. It could either be a physical object or a physical idea. It could be like the idea of democracy, let's say, a democracy, or or a cow, right? These are physical things, the things in our reality. Those are, they come out of an eternal truth which is embedded in Torah. So if Torah has what to say about democracy. Torah also has what to say about a cow. Not because democracy and a cow pre-exist Torah, but because these concepts, what Torah has to say, and it's in the spiritual sense, pre-exists these ideas. And because... Torah has what to say about them. Therefore, they exist. Therefore, they exist. So if you understand that Torah is the blueprint of creation, and the best example I could give you for this is like this, yeah? The American Constitution and the American law. On the other hand, think of a user manual to your vacuum, Okay. So American law is, is, is a, is a the constitution is a great document, tremendously great document, right? But it is formed. It's very much like, like, it, it's very much like, uh, like any, like any, um, any, any of the, of the humanities, like, 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 like psychology, right? It is a study of human nature. It is a study of the world around us and it is crafting laws best suited for human nature. And it, it, it's it, out of all governments that are in the world american american way is pretty good right it's the founding fathers which they understood modes of government they understood human nature and decided to craft a document that's going to best give guidance to how people should interact with each other and make a nation out of that and then all laws that are that are that are drafted or crafted afterwards is doing the same thing right it's an analyzing a situation around us and making laws so we could best interact Contrast that to a user manual of a vacuum, which is obviously in terms of wisdom, incomparable to the American Constitution. But the user manual of the vacuum that you bought off Amazon, right, is created not by someone who saw the vacuum and deciphered the best way for you to use it. It is created, it is written by the person who actually created the vacuum. The creator of the vacuum is now going to figure out and tell you how best to use the vacuum, not to destroy it, right? So the same thing is the way you have to look at Torah. Torah is not how 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 Hashem sees the world and how it is and therefore gives us the best guidance and how to behave and, and, and interact in the world that's already created. Torah is the blueprint of the world, it's the user manual. The creator of the world is telling you how best to behave in this world because he created the world and he knows how it functions. So that is the best example I can give you for understanding this idea. Now if Torah is such that any concept in Torah that, you know, any concept, whether Torah talks about the cow or Torah talks about democracy, right? 
If you're going to use your mind to understand the concept of a cow and the concept of democracy, right, the unification will happen with maybe a unification, but you cannot compare that to the unification that a mind will have with that concept in Torah, because Torah is to the depths of the truth of any item. Torah is the full manifestation of any item. If you learn about a cow in Torah, you're not just learning about the cow, you're learning about its eternal truth. And that unification can, is incomparable to the to any other unification. So to just ra just to just to recap, the 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 thought, which is a which is the vehicle, which is a vehicle of mind, is so fundamental to our function because it is through this, it is through thought, it is through this garment, this behavior, which the mind functions, and the mind and the godly soul, because we're dealing with the godly soul, so its thought is concerned with godly thought, with learning Torah. That unification, that connection that you have with Hashem at learning Torah is the greatest connection with Hashem that can ever be. It completely transforms you. It completely changes you. And that is the reason, that is the fundamental reason why we pursue learning Tanya. Now, before I end up, I'm just going to recap about the godly soul from the beginning. So in chapter two, we explain what the essence of the godly soul is. Then we give an analogy. The analogy, the best analogy we could give is the relationship between a parent and a child. The relationship and the creation of a child, there are three components. The mother, the father, and the child itself. These three components give us an insight to how the spiritual soul was created. And uh, chapter two explained that the, 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 the original seminal um, drop comes from the father, right? That, that, that initiate the initiation. And that in the spiritual side is the soul, which is a piece of Hashem, which is literally a piece of Hashem. And then just as, just like in a mother where the child is developed over nine months and, they, and, and that's where you start having the differentiation between the different organs and different pieces of the child starts growing and growing and growing and nine months of development. That on the spiritual side is an, as an, it gives insight in the spiritual side where different souls, although they are all one essence, they come out in this world on different levels because as we are as a as a general unit compared to like a human body. Some of us are head soul. Some of us are feet soul. Some of us are arm souls, right? We have different levels of souls when they come out of their body are different, are different levels. And then there's the actual entity of the child itself, which gives us insight to what happens to a soul when it's down in this world, just like by a child. The child that's born, it's its own entity, and it's born already. Every piece of his body actually draws energy from the brain, so too... Any soul that down here in this world needs to draw its energy and sustenance, spiritual sustenance from the brain, which is the brain souls inside this world, which is the rest. And chapter three went on to describe how the build of the soul looks like. And we described that there's 10 levels. There's which those are the 10 levels which are embedded in all of creation. That's the ballistic model. That, that Kabbalah teaches us in all creation. And because we are created in the image of Hashem, as we learn in the creation story in, in Bereshis, so our soul reflects Hashem, just like Hashem has these 10 attributes, the 10 levels. Our soul also has the 10 levels, which are split into two. They're split into, generally two, they're split into the mind and the heart, which means the intellect and the emotion. And we learn that the intellect fundamentally is what breeds the emotion. And then we learned about the behaviors of the soul in, in, in four and five. The godly soul has these three general behaviors which thought, speech, and action. And these behaviors are motivated by the emotion and which are in turn motivated by the brain. And these thoughts, speech, and actions is what the godly soul is sent down to do, is what is what 
the godly soul wants to manifest in, in your body. And those are thinking about Torah, Torah, thinking about doing mitzvahs, speech, which is about Torah mitzvahs, and actually doing Torah and mitzvahs. Chapter 6, which is the next chapter, we're now going to flip side. We're going to learn about the natural soul, the animal soul. We're going to learn all about it. We're going to learn all about its fantasies, what it seeks to accomplish. We're going to learn about its three garments, its behavior. And that's going to be in chapter 6, 7, and then an eight. And chapter nine is going to be the great showdown. We're going to explain and we're going to describe how these two souls interact with each other. So that is going to be the totality of understanding what's happening within a person. And beyond that, we're going to describe then what kind of people could come out. We described how people are created in the inside. We are actually going to explain the tzaddik, the rasha, the mainly the three general categories of people and how that connects with the two souls. Now, since this is Tanya life, so Tanya life means that we are going to learn out lessons to life. And the wisdom we learned in this class which comes from chapter 5. There's insights we can learn in our relationship with Hashem, in our relationship with others, and our relationship with ourselves. So in terms of the relationship with Hashem, I think that um, it's quite clear that we have to approach Torah learning from maybe a, an approach that many people are not used to and they're not they're not raised to appreciate Torah learning this way it's much easier much easier from a human level to appreciate Torah learning in a, in a, in a more shallow way in the fact that there's satisfaction in the fact that there's um gives us guidance to how to live etc but to approach Torah in a way that we are literally connecting with Hashem that is what's happening in the best unification best connection that, that there could be that is definitely what we should strive for. So that's the soul of connection with Hashem. Now, in connection um, with others, um, I had to think about this a little bit, but um, I think that this this talks to the, the, the idea of teaching someone else Torah, teaching someone else. Um, and there as well, you can have many different approaches, right? Um, one one approach that I love, which is not not the essence, but because I teach Torah a lot, I learn the best when I teach, right? When I have to prepare for a class, so I learn better than I would have learned any other time. So I have, you know, teaching Torah that that, that can give me that gives me some extra um, motivation, maybe. But that's not at the heart of it. At the end of the day, the heart of it is is that we are souls coming together, and if it's, if your if your soul using your brain is connecting with Hashem, how much more so it is when we're learning with 10 people or even less, but the point is we're learning it as a group, so we are souls coming together, connecting with Hashem as a unit, which is obviously a lot more powerful. And um, with uh, connection to ourselves, we should just understand, and this is what I always try to, I always try to remind myself and always try to, always try to achieve that when you learn Torah at the end of the day, the specs the unique effects of Torah may be felt later on, maybe felt a week later. Because the point is, is that you're learning a concept and you're very, very involved in the concept. And as we described, right, the brain is is, is involved in the concept and the concept involves the brain and then it goes back and it, and it comes to unification. But the effects that it has on your brain a week later, a month later, right, is it, it can go unappreciated because it's subtle. It's very, very subtle. So when you learn a piece of Torah, Right, you should know that it's about this piece of Torah, hundred percent. Right, you should be involved. You should think that 
when you're learning business story, you shouldn't be thinking about what happens when you learn business story because you just learn it. You just learn it, but you should know, you should know that your brain will never do the same. And therefore, the more you learn, the more you'll change. And if you want to be in tune, you want to be connected, you want to, and that's what we all look, we all, we all, we all seek that. We all seek connection. We all seek to be in tune with a higher cause, right? There's so much distraction. There's so much layers that keep us from this connection, right? The one surest way to tear down those layers, to tear, to, to, to break through the darkness is to learn Torah because your brain is just going to absorb, absorb, absorb more and more godly, godliness and therefore become more sensitized and become more sensitive and it will be so much easier to connect when you search to connect because your brain is full Torah. You cannot compare a Shabbos. When you go into a Shabbos, which is a day of connection, we all seek a little bit of connection in the Shabbos. You cannot compare a Shabbos that follows a week of Torah study. If you learn Torah that week, you are just so much more in tune to a Shabbos that comes after no Torah study, you can't compare. And we all on the everyone's nodding because everyone understands this. And that is true in all facets of life. And that is the effect that Torah has on us, and we should pursue it as much as possible.